This is cool. Welcome to Barnhart Podcast, episode 184. It is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Today is Monday, December 12th, 2022, if you're keeping track that way. And like I mentioned, it is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. She who crushes the, the head of the serpent demon, and uh, she's the patroness of, of all of North America. So um, even, even though the Immaculate Conception, wait a minute, do I have that backwards? The Immaculate Conception is the patroness of North America, but Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness of Mexico. Yeah, okay, I got, I got that right now. <laughs> or do, do oh, yeah. <laughs> we all kind of understood what you meant, but what at bottom line, we need her intercession now more than ever, whether it's under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe or Our Lady of Copacabana. It's, you know, it's the same, it's the same person and it's the same enemy. Um, you know, the, the big revelation that I kind of had this week, um, was kind of, you know, at mass and thinking about the Immaculate Conception and all these things and and just thinking about um and i had also read somewhere and i can't remember where i saw this i would credit whoever wrote this if i knew who to credit if i could you know find it again but you know how it is when you you see things on the internet and they they're in your brain but then good luck trying to find it again it's just lost in in the history somewhere um but someone a person made a point that um anti-pope bergoglio and his diabolical nature and how the pachamama demon was and is in trying to insinuate itself with the cooperation of anti-pope bergoglio and with the cooperation of the infiltrators of the church the satanists the freemasons the Pachamama demon is trying to be presented and insinuated into the church as basically the new, the new quote unquote, blessed virgin. Um, you know, that horrible, disgusting, uh, you know, the, the, those statues, those kitschy statues, but they're still horrible and disgusting and ugly that, um, What's his name? The 14 foot tall uh, Austrian dude, Scheugel, uh Turns out that he was he was bankrolled by Taylor Marshall, but he did steal those things out of the church of Santa Maria and Transpontina right there just outside the Vatican. Wait, and was that a secret that the, Taylor put him up to that? Well, it, it came out after and Taylor Marshall fessed up to it um, in at when it initially happened. No, it was it was a secret and people people didn't know people didn't know it was Scheugel initially it was you know it was released it was put on it was put on youtube and you couldn't tell who it was then it came out that it was in fact Scheugel who did it Scheugel said it was me da 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 and then quite quite a bit later um taylor marshall fessed up to the fact that he bankrolled he paid for Scheugel, i guess to fly from austria down to to rome and to do this thing and I mean, I, I have no problem with it. I think it was a great thing to do. Um, I I kind of, am, if, if anything, I'm a little bit jealous that I wasn't 
I wasn't able to do it myself. Envious. It was well, a, that, that's a pet peeve of mine. When people say jealous, when they mean envious, you're jealous of the envious. things you have. You're envious of the things other people have. And yes, right. I, I didn't realize it was a big secret that Taylor Marshall was the one behind this. I, I don't remember how I knew that early on, but it just, you know, I, I thought, cool. That's somebody who can do something. And yeah, and yeah, yeah I'm a little well envious, done. but I wasn't in a position <laughs> to do it myself. I wish he would have, yep. um, like, like we did in the Navy, um, strapped some weights around those things so they sunk to the bottom and they couldn't be recovered. Yeah. And, and yeah. What, what I'm referencing there, anybody who's in the Navy who served in San Diego knows this. When you come back to port your last time, uh, from, from your last time being at sea, you don't, at least you don't expect to go out to sea one more time. There's a tradition when you go into the San Diego Bay Bridge, you throw your hat overboard. Your, your cover, I should say. Um, and so in, in the, the tradition is if the cover floats, then you will go back out to sea someday. And if it sinks, you don't, you won't. And some people will put lead weights in that thing and concrete yeah. and other <laughs> things to make sure that darn thing went to the bottom of the bay. And in, in terms of, you know, if, if I was bankrolling that and, and, and having somebody steal the, the, the demon representations and chuck it in the Tiber, I would have said that thing goes to the bottom. Actually, I might've said, I might have said burn it first and then put the ashes in a bag yeah. with, with rocks and make sure it goes to the bottom. But Yeah, that was Father Z's critique of all of it. You That's the only thing you, I would have done differently. Yeah. When you're when you're disposing of something satanic like that or evil, um, you are supposed to burn it to ash and then dispose of the ashes in running water. So we got the running water right. I mean that that was good, but fire needed to be involved, but on the other hand, he needed to do it quickly. He couldn't stand around on that bridge over the Tiber and and burn those things. That would take minutes and minutes and minutes to burn them while, you know, attention, drawing attention to himself. I can see why he did it, he just threw them over. But back to the, the whole business of, um, Satan through who I think is probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, Antipope Bergoglio, um, using, trying to insinuate the Pachamama demon as the quote unquote new image of, or the replacement of, replacement for the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Immaculate Conception. And the reason this was all, the stimulus of all this, is somebody, somebody on the internet wrote that look what he's trying to do you've got the immaculate conception the highest the highest created being is is her and you say well wait a minute that's that can't be right because you know the the angels are these massive 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 non-corporeal intellects um how can you say that she is the highest created being and it's because of her humility she is the highest created being and she is immaculate obviously she's without the stain of original sin she is forever perpetually virgin etc 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 you can go on and make a list of the glories of mary and people do that and people write very long books and very thick books about about the glories of mary and and her perfection and her immaculate heart and and her sinlessness and her and her perpetual virginity her purity etc cetera, etc cetera. and what what was the replacement for that what would be the complete and total inversion of that if you were going if you were lucifer working through 
um, your minions here on earth, um, probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist who's in your pocket, what what is going to be the image that is the co- complete and total inversion of that? Madonna you know Chicone, only more so. Uh, no, it's even lower than that. It's a bowl of dirt. And that's exactly what they did. The Pachamama demon, as we reported on, basically in real time as it happened, they had a witch process in who was carrying a bowl of dirt, literally. And that bowl of dirt contained in it the cursed presence of of this Pachamama demon. Now, here's my theory. The more I think about this and this whole business of of the inversion and having this thing visibly public, visible, publicly visible to the world under the form of a bowl of dirt, which which then anti-Pope Bergoglio specifically placed on the altar, the high altar in St. Peter's Basilica at the offertory of the mass and that that cursed bowl of dirt the image of the pachamama the pachamama being the inversion of and the attempted replacement for the blessed virgin i think that the pot demon isn't just a demon i think the pot is probably lucifer himself I think, be, and I say that because if you're going to say that the pot is the attempted replacement in the Bergolian anti-church, this anti-church, which is like a cancer inside of the Vatican and, and occupies, as Father Linus Clovis puts so brilliantly, occupies the same liturgical, sacramental, and juridical space for now as the true church okay and you have and you need a replacement of a new blessed virgin mary but a replacement a demonic inversion of this well that's going to be lucifer because remember lucifer's turn and lucifer's fall revolved around the fact not that he wanted to be he didn't want to be Christ. He, he didn't want to be the second person of the triune Godhead incarnating as man. He, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't his, his agenda. He, they all, all the angelic beings, they, they were given the information about what the plan was. And the plan was from the very, very, very beginning that the second person of the triune Godhead would incarnate. Okay. What Lucifer wanted is that he wanted to be the vector through which the second person of the triune Godhead incarnated. He said, okay, if that's what's going to happen, then I, Lucifer, need to be the the conduit through which the second person incarnates. He wanted to be what Mary is. He, Lucifer, remember angels are sexless, so, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about the fact, well, you know, Lu- Lucifer's a male and, and he wanted to be in a feminine role. Angels are sexless, folks, so that's, 
that's not what we're talking about here. Angels he are wanted, pure mission. I mean, the, the name Lucifer means that he's the light bearer. It has nothing to do bearer. with gender. To, he, to put a gender to that would be to diminish no. what his purpose in creation was to be. He was supposed to bring the light to all other created beings, except that he saw himself as the source of the uh-huh. light, as opposed to being the reflector and transmitter of the light. And I, I would take exception with the idea, at least at this point in time, that or Takamama, whatever you want to say, is <laughs> is supposed to be Lucifer himself. I would say that Lucifer delights in an evil sense at putting forth the minimum effort that will get the job done. Like, you stupid, silly little humans. I don't even have to exercise my full power to make you fall. I think he's probably sending in, like, a third-string backup <laughs> um, minor leaguer demon. <laughs> and he's, and, and that, that demon is still trapping... You know, South American Jesuits, uh, and and making them fall. I think Satan is is saving or Lucifer is saving himself for the end time when when the when the gig is up, fully speaking, and and all powers. Well, uh, could at the we maximum. not argue that that's what this is? I well, mean, we're getting we? there for sure. But I, I still think he revels in having the 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 stupidest possible demons, relatively speaking. I mean, relatively speaking, the stupidest demons could trash us. But I, I still think oh, yeah. minimum oh, effort yeah. is what what. Um, what he gets off on because because it means we're just falling to even you know with with the grace of god with the grace of god that we have you know to the degree that bergoglio has it i don't know but to the degree that we have the grace of god if the minimum effort on his part can make us fall i just think i would think that would make him all the more diabolically happy i see your point yeah but I don't know. Maybe if the listenership, if any, if anyone out there has any thoughts on this question, do we think it's possible, likely, on a scale of one to ten, one being total impossibility, ten being metaphysical certitude, what do you think the odds are that the Pachamama demon is in fact Lucifer himself? Hmm. Inter- interesting question. But that's just kind of the thought that came to me. So Lucifer knows the scriptures, and he knows at the end of time that Elias and Enoch are going to manifest themselves and preach to the Jews and the Gentiles and will preach the truth and convert many. And I think he's waiting for his most powerful agents to counter them. And if, if that's news to you, by the way, that Elias and Enoch are still around, um, they've never died. Even, even though St. Elias is, has, has a feast day, he still has never died. He's the only person who's still alive who has a feast day. And, and even among the Carmelite order, when his feast is commemorated, the, the priests wear the red vestments of martyrdom because Christ himself predicted that Elias would be martyred at the end of time. So Elias is, is, is commemorated at that point. Now, where are Elias and Enoch? Who knows? Not even Google can find them at this point. They're hidden. And, and that's, that's up to God as to when they're going to be decided or when, when they're going to be manifest. But when they come out, that's going to be a, a, a witness more powerful I've, I've heard it said that it's going to be more powerful than even the apostles at Pentecost, that they're going to have such fire and, 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 um, and zeal. And they've been preparing this for, for this for thousands of years, literally. They're not going to waste their How time. How is it that I've never heard of this? This is pretty, this is pretty spectacular. I've, You've never I've heard this? I've never heard of this. No. So Elias no. was taken up in the fiery chariot, but he didn't die. And same with Enoch. These, these are the two witnesses. But they were the taken times. up. But they were taken up. Yes, but they didn't die. They, they were taken up to a place. They were separated from 
everyone who's who's around right now as to where they are. And the, the joke is, and I heard this in a sermon recently, they're, they're, they're so well hidden that not even Google can find them. But mm-hmm. uh, some of the opinions of the fathers and, and, and the scholastics were that they're hidden in the original location where paradise was. You know, the, the angels with the lightsabers, flaming swords, whatever, mm-hmm. who, yeah. who are guarding the, the place that nobody can go, that, that's where Elias and Enoch are. And when when the time prescribed from God arrives, that they will come out, Elias will preach to the Jews and say, you idiots, you missed the, the whole thing. The truth is there, pointing to the Catholic Church. And Enoch will point will, will preach to the Gentiles and say, you idiots, you missed the whole thing. The truth is over there with the Catholic Church. I mean, paraphrase, roughly speaking. But Elias and Enoch will be the, the witnesses at end times, and they will preach, and they will be an absolute thorn in the side to Antichrist and, and loose for himself. And they will be killed publicly speaking, and the entire world at the time that they are killed will go into rejoicing. And I remember having a discussion with a coworker, shoot, 20 years ago now, saying, talking about this uh, passage in scripture, is like, well, how will the whole world know that something happened? I was like, dude, are you serious? Have you seen CNN? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's not, that's not a question anymore. Yeah. This is before all the social networks. And I imagine yeah. that the technologies that are going to come out going forward are going to be even more pervasive and probably mm-hmm. more mandatory as it, co- as it, as it comes out. Uh, but um, yeah. that when Elias and Enoch are killed, everybody on earth will know they're going to throw a party. They're going to exchange gifts. Just like it says in scripture. I mean, scripture is real. <laughs> it's, it's but inerrant. what you're saying. And the, the image I'm getting um, is you've, you've seen the third Indiana Jones movie with the Holy grail. And he, he goes through that obstacle course and there's that, a crusader knight sitting back in there who's been sitting there waiting for however many centuries guarding guarding the holy grail i've seen the clip on youtube i don't know if i've ever seen the whole movie so is your position is is that um um elijah and enoch are are literally still in a cave somewhere on earth alive they it when it says that they were take that they were taken up that doesn't mean that they're it's not the position of super nerd it's the position elsewhere, of the, it's, elsewhere. Position, it's the position of the church they are still alive they have not died they are hidden and they will be they will come back at the in, into public view and into the public consciousness at the end times when antichrist is ruling and they will be a thorn in his side for 36 months three years and they will be publicly killed everybody will rejoice and three days later they will rise from the dead and ascend to heaven to the terror of all those who are not friends of God. Mm-hmm. I'm not making this up. It's in the last book of the Bible. No, I'm, I've actually Googled it and I'm sitting here looking at, I feel like, uh, it's like I feel like um, those clips of Joe Rogan when he's, he's sitting there Googling things while, while somebody's talking. I've, I've never, I've never heard. I'm not familiar with the whole, they're literally alive on earth somewhere. I've never heard that. This is so wild. The cradle Catholic is schooling the uh, the, the converted Protestant on the, on the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought I was the one who's supposed to read the Bible and all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so let's see. Um, Enoch or Henoch is the inspiration for the apocalyptic work called First Enoch, cited by St. Jude in his epistle. And then we all know who Elijah, um, I guess, I don't know if that's a Protestant thing, but um, I always heard and said and read Elijah, J-A-H, 
but yeah, I mean, you if you see if you it's Elias in Catholic Bibles, you see that. Well, yeah, and if you go to the Old Mass, then. Actually, I don't know if this overlaps with uh, the Novus Ordo Missal or not, but in the Old Mass, the the gospel this last Sunday was the uh, representatives of the um, Pharisees going out and questioning John the Baptist, basically, who, dude, who mm-hmm. are you? Are, yeah. are you Elias? Are you the prophet? Why are you baptizing? Yeah. Because the prophets refer to, in the, in the Old Testament, uh, prophecies are referring to somebody who will baptize as being the Christ. And he makes it very clear he's baptizing for water and repentance as opposed to Christ who will baptize a fire in the Holy Ghost. So mm-hmm. the, it, it sort of goes together because we're in that week right now talking about Elias and John the Baptist and all. So in Second Kings 2, it says, And as they went on, walking and talking together, behold, a fiery chariot and fiery horses parted them both asunder, and Elias went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So the question is, is where is that? What does that mean? Yeah, but it's, but it's in the, it's in the physical universe somewhere. It's in the physical universe. Yeah. But if you do the translation, heaven, paradise, those two words sort of go together, but paradise was also the garden of Eden, which would Mm -hmm. go together with, with the idea that there is a, a, an area on earth. Oh man, I hesitate to make this comparison, but like Wakanda, you can't get there because it's guarded and, and invisible to all human, um, abilities to try to see it. But, mm-hmm. and if you get too close an angel with a lightsaber is going to say, no, 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 turn around, go away. But the, uh, the idea being that there are these two people there and it's paradise. They've got all the natural things they would need to sustain life and everything. Um, mm-hmm. they're going to just hang out until, until God says, okay, you're up, go. Wow. This is cool. Man, I hope I want to see this. I, I, as with Oz, with all of the resolution to all of this, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, the whole nine, I, I, I totally want to see this. This is fantastic. Okay, so now I've got to ask, are you familiar with the legend of the wandering Jew? No. The, and I don't know if this is real or if this is just something that is a pious slash, I don't know what, superstition or, or legend. But there is the, the theory or legend that uh, during the Passion of Christ, when, when Christ fell one of the times with the cross, there was an impious Jew who was walking by who mocked him saying, get up and carry your cross. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, I will, but until I return, so will you walk the earth. Mm. Oh, he even has a Wikipedia page. Okay, the wandering Jew is a mythical immortal man. Again, I'm reading I'm reading Wikipedia here, whose legend began to spread in Europe in the 13th century. In the original legend, a Jew who taunted Jesus on the way to the crucifixion was then cursed to walk the earth until the second coming. The exact nature of the wanderer's indiscretion varies in different versions of the tale, as do aspects of his character. Sometimes he's said to be a shoemaker or other tradesman, while sometimes he is the doorman at the estate of Pontius Pilate. Man, fascinating. And it would, what a, what a curse. Well, it would be a curse. Okay. Uh, that was, what is the story? Oh, I know what it is. Um, um, the Green Mile, which is actually a Stephen King um, short story or novella. Um, and, you know, the, the punchline at the end of The Green Mile is that the prison guard who was complicit in in executing the um the presumably good man who had the capacity to heal people um the prison guard who 
who ex who ex literally executed him is cursed to just horrifically long life and and what what a curse that truly is interestingly enough so yeah yeah long life is not necessarily a reward it, it's it's no. i've heard priests say it's mileage toward hell because most people who have long life especially if you think you're going to have a long life you tend to put off any sense of remorse or work towards sanctification and we've we've talked about this before in in terms of the spiritual benefit of the death penalty when you know mm -hmm. that your death is imminent and it's within about 30 days or so if it's done correctly mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have a massive motivation to really think about your state in the universe and especially your your position with God and maybe consider, you know, getting on your knees and making an act of, of, of repentance for all that you've done and maybe yeah. following the advice of a priest and, and offering your death righteous as it is in justification for your for what you've done in union with, with the passion of Christ. That can be if done properly. It can be a plenary indulgence in, in itself, or it, it can remit for all of your temporal punishment. But if you're mm -hmm. the kind of person who, let's say, kills 14 people in California, and then you go to jail, and you will never be killed because California doesn't do that anymore. Right. Do you have any motivation to be repentant for anything? Not only do you not have any motivation to be repentant, you are actually incentivized to, for example, kill other prisoners that you're imprisoned with. Um, because there's nothing they can do to you. You you are basically, in a certain sense, at liberty to do whatever you want, because if you're in prison for life without the possibility of parole, and that is the maximum punishment, then there's literally nothing else that they can do to you. So, yeah, that's a big, big, big argument against um, the whole notion of putting people in prison for life without the possibility of parole. It's just a complete, it's a complete inversion and in incentivization towards committing additional crimes. Absolutely. Hey, and we're pretty much on topic or on pace. We're 26 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to our first bullet point. So, well, exactly. Well, <laughs> what else would you expect from us? What is our first bullet point? I don't even remember what well, we're going to talk about. The vibes are kind of up and down, um, e either optimistic or pessimistic, depending upon how you look at uh, end times and how close we are to them. So maybe let's talk about some good vibes. And uh, let's see, Jorge, Jorge Pagolio was asking for good vibes recently. Did you hear, did you read that? Oh, he's done that. He's done that multiple times. Absolutely. It's all it's all part and parcel of his um, hating and being embarrassed by Catholicism. Um, he, he absolutely despises it. And so he goes out of his way to make to t grasp every opportunity to, for example, refuse. He refuses to give blessings because, you know, there might be some non-Catholics here and he wouldn't want to offend them or make them feel uncomfortable. He never, he almost never blesses. You know, if you've ever been around, if you've ever been to Rome before the Bergoglian usurpation or anything like that, and you saw, you saw the Pope gloriously reigning, um, they're always, as they're, you know, going around, if they're going around in the Pope mobile or whatever it is, or processing down the aisle at St. Peter's, or if you've ever even seen a, um, you know, a pontifical mass, especially with a cardinal, as as the prelate is processing, he's he's 
just looking back and forth, scanning the church, and just constantly blessing everyone as he walks by. Constantly, constantly, constantly blessing, blessing, blessing. Bergoglio never does that. And of course, the, the way that they do that is by, you know, making the sign of the cross in the air in front of them, you know, that, that do donation blessing, not crossing themselves, but making the sign of the cross as a blessing as clerics and prelates uh, do. Bergoglio never, ever, ever does this. Bergoglio waves, waves, you know, like a politician. He just waves. He never blesses anybody. I think the, about the only time he, he does do the blessing, and he has screwed this up. He doesn't even know how to say the words of blessing. He has screwed this up publicly numerous times. About the only time that he does it is at the Angelus. He, at the end of the Angelus, you know, begrudgingly just trying to appear with a semblance of, of some resemblance of being papal, he begrudgingly does say the blessing at the end of the Angelus. That's about it. He, but he will go out of his way to not bless. Um, and then, yeah, send, send me good vibes. He said that several times before. Can you believe it's almost a decade? And that, and that reminds me, today is the 12th of December. So I believe it was when I went on my pilgr pilgrimage to Rome, I arrived on the afternoon of the 11th of December. So yesterday marked the 10 year, I can't, I can't even hardly believe it because in a certain sense, it just seems like yesterday. Um, it marks the 10 year anniversary of my pilgrimage to Rome. And boy, was that life altering in a, in a way that I never could have possibly imagined. Um, I just went as a tourist. I had, I had no idea what was about to happen and, you know, have it. And especially that I would have any, be any way tied up in it at all. in even the smallest tangential way, which I now am. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's it's a it's a fundamental hatred and embarrassment of Catholicism, and this um, this is the point that I make in that in the essay that I've reposted several times in the past, however many years now. It's probably been eight years ago that I wrote it, um, and it's the one about um, how the the title of it is "We Don't Actually Believe Any of That Catholic BS." Um, and it's it's 100% true. Most of these guys, most of these prelates, a lot of the priests, depending upon, you know, is it a Jesuit, is a Franciscan, is it is it a sodomite diocesan, whoever it is. If you were to get, if you were to go to a cocktail party and, you know, get a couple G&Ts into them and back them into a corner and lean in and say, listen, do, do you believe that you know, Jesus of Nazareth is actually God incarnate. Mo the vast majority of them would say, of course not. If you, if you got them into a corner and leaned in and whispered, say, listen, do, do you actually believe that bread and wine turns into the, the substance of God, that its, its substance is changed and that we're actually eating God? They'd say, of course not. Of course, of course not. Not, not only do they not believe any of it, they are wildly embarrassed and humiliated by it, exactly 
as as what happened in the in the bread of life discourse the eucharistic discourse in john chapter six where our lord is at the peak they've got they've got thousands and thousands of people gathered to listen to our lord preach this is the act the absolute pinnacle of his earthly ministry in terms of his popularity on the ground in in palestine you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people gathered to listen to him and he goes off and he says you will you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink my blood and he repeats himself 14 times and he changes the verb from eat and halfway through in the greek the verb changes from merely to eat into to gnaw or to chew in order making driving home the point that he's talking about literally eating his flesh and literally drinking his blood and of course everybody freaks out and everybody gets up and leaves and judas iscariot is embarrassed humiliated enraged enraged by by all of this and of course you draw the contrast so judas iscariot is humiliated embarrassed and enraged and at that moment satan enters into his heart and says okay this guy you've got to sell this guy out this guy needs to go he needs to be killed and maybe you know you judas can pick up the pieces and and keep this movement going um but this, this he's he's lost the plot and you've got to get rid of him you've got to have him killed so that's when that all starts but then you contrast that because where sin abounds grace abounds all the more and our lord walks over and they're all kind of gathered there i'm sure they were all <laughs> the blood had drained out of their faces and they were probably certainly extraordinarily confused and our lord asked the great question well are you going to go too and peter says where else would we go you are the christ you have the words of eternal life we're with you don't understand what you just said but you're the christ and we're and we're sticking with you where else would we go and that is such a profound thing that catholics or people uh in the process of becoming catholic or thinking about becoming catholic need to understand is that the faith cannot be understood with reason. Mm -hmm. There are things that uh, the, the way I've heard it put before is that the, the supernatural gift of faith gives you the gift of being able to believe things that cannot be believed otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that isn't checking your brain at the door either. That's not what it is. You're not being a dum dum. It's, it's, it's the supernatural virtue of faith. If you, if you got it, you got it. And if you don't, you don't. You, if you don't have it or you feel like you don't have enough of it, which is all of us, you can't possibly have enough. No one can ever have enough. Ask God for more. And, you know, if you're sincere and you're not just being manipulative or or trying trying to trying to trick god or anything like that if you aren't you know secretly secretly don't even believe in god but claim oh i asked him for faith i asked him for faith well eh, you know were you really were you really and and yes it is appropriate to to ask that question at a certain point 
were you really um no it's 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 not checking your brain at the door because once faith starts to come then oh this connection comes and this connection comes these very intellectual connections and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and better and better and better um so yeah it's a it's a completely different animal but you know that is why peter was made the pope i mean our lord could have our our lord could have made john the pope our lord could have he could have made paul it, the pope he was he, he was actually paul the pope yeah he was he actually could, educated and he had had skills yeah. and letters and, and rhetoric and all the rest absolutely the papacy and the reason why our lord gave the keys and gave the papacy to peter is because of that moment in john chapter 6 and peter's faith the that you know he calls him and he changes his name from simon to peter and of course kepha means means rock as we know as we all now know in aramaic um which in greek is of course petrum um and it was because of the rock of his faith that is what was considered to be the most important quality for the vicar of christ on earth to have and to have manifested and peter showed it right then he's the one who stepped up w with all of them there gathered after the bread of life discourse when everybody's running away in horror um peter's the one who stepped up and with his faith even admitting i don't know i i don't understand what you just said but i know that you are the christ that's why peter is is was and his successors are the pope the vicar of christ on earth that is what the papacy is built on and that is what is almost completely entirely lacking in in the institutional church today is there's hardly any of them if you get a couple of cocktails into them at a, at a cocktail party and ask them hey man seriously do you do you believe any of that almost none of them do almost none of them do and that is you would say well and that's great well i mean how do you explain it then how do you explain that most of these guys 80 percent of priests 95 percent of bishops today are sodomites how do you explain that how, how what what kind of what kind of a of a argument is it that you can have men who are doing those things the, some of the most despicable vile acts that a human being can engage in on this earth they're doing those things while being priests while being catholic bishops how can you how can you not realize that these men clearly do not have any faith they engage in those acts and then they go say mass or as it turns out as i learned from my time in rome they on sunday morning they get up they go say their mass they go fulfill whatever duty they have in whatever parish they're in they go have lunch and then they go to the train station and they pick up a male prostitute and they spend the rest of the afternoon evening um in the company of a boy prostitute i mean i mean right right tell me tell me how faith it exists in that paradigm and the answer is, is it doesn't
It doesn't. They clearly do these things because they don't believe in any of it. And they probably believe exactly as anti Bergoglio has said over and over and has said to the now no longer atheist uh, journalist, what was his name, Eugenio Scalfari, that communist who owned the biggest newspaper in Italy. Pray for his soul, and, even though he wasn't Catholic. I mean, yes, he knows the truth at this point. He and knows may, he's and, not an atheist anymore. He's not an atheist anymore. Yeah. And maybe the prayers can't benefit him, but no prayers are lost in, in the communion of saints. They will go to somebody else. Right. Pray for him. Our Lady Mediatri uh, um, Mediatrix of All Graces, she's in charge of, if you pray for someone and it does turn out that they are in fact in hell, then she determines who in purgatory gets that, uh, gets the benefits, gets those graces. Um, so anti-Pope Bergoglio told Scalfari more than once, soul annihilation, nope. The worst thing that can happen if you die and it, it just didn't work out and you, you didn't get enough good vibes or whatever it is, then whoop, it's, just, it's just soul annihilation. The, I, I think that that is what the vast majority of Catholic clerics and prelates today believe. Most of them are probably straight up atheists. Um, maybe a few of them are are deists, um, you know, a, an indifferent creator, a first mover who, you know, proverbially snapped his fingers and the big bang happened. And then the rest has just been the physical universe coasting on its own. And whoever this this first mover was, he's completely indifferent. And remember, that's important, the word indifferent, because as we all know, the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is indifference. And so if you're calling, if you're calling the first mover, even if you believe that he is the creator God, but you're calling him indifferent, that's almost that's almost worse than saying he doesn't even exist at all to say that he is the the inverse of love that he is the inverse of charity that he is completely devoid of charity um and that's the argument that i think the ones who even do believe in a creator um i think that's what they tell themselves and then they i think the vast 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 majority of them think that hell is just a manipulative gambit that was brought that was concocted in order to you know uh control people and guilt trip people and do all do all this and in a certain sense it is i mean yeah you guilt tripping is good if you're if you're guilty <laughs> which we all are to a certain extent so there needs to be some sort of a discussion and understanding of what the eternal consequences of our sin is we all are to an absolute extent if our name isn't mary the mother yep. of god that's right and so um they don't believe it and and you know that's that's where we are in the church today and you say well 80 percent of them are sodomites but that means there's 20 percent of them who aren't sodomites but of that 20 percent what kind of faith do you see today yeah maybe they're maybe they're straight as arrows maybe they're completely psychosexually normal and they're attracted to women well do they have a concubine are they looking at porn are they engaging in self-abuse or are they or are they asexual loveless narcissists who hate everybody 
and are just in it for, I don't know what, career advancement, um, you know, or just enter, entering into this thing as so, some sort of a mafia that they felt like they could advance in. Um, well, just being straight doesn't mean that you're, that you have faith and that you're virtuous. So yeah, I mean, the 80% that they're sodomites, that's just, that's just citing how incredibly bad the situation is. But, but when I say that, every time I get into a discussion about this and talk about this, it's oddly consoling because the prophecies have been that at the end, before the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, the situation in the church is going to be so bad that it's going to appear like it is impossible for it to be fixed. And man, I think we've got to be at least in the ballpark of that at this point. I, I, how, how would you at this point, if 80% of the priests and 95% of the bishops are sodomites, how in the world do you purge the church? How, how do you turn this around? Um, and I should make a make a precision the the Western Church, the number the numbers of of sodomites in the East isn't nearly that high. That doesn't mean though that the Eastern problem with um, having married priests, sexually active married priests, that doesn't mean that that's the solution. It's not. Um, but in fairness to to priests in the in the byzantine wing of the church yeah they don't they don't have the problem with sodomy that that the the western church does obviously but yeah it's it's so bad that i don't know and that's it's that's the thing that we talked about you know here we are we've got this fake pandemic um almost all of these guys these priests and bishops almost all of them have been injected multiple times with the poison because they're all true believers. And anti-Pope Bergoglio is, of course, up to his eyeballs in the corona crime against humanity, releasing videos saying that it is a, an act of Christian charity, which is obligatory for you to inject yourself with this stuff. He's 1,000% completely involved. He's had these population reductionists, pro-aborts, Bill and Melinda Gates, all of these, uh, the Podestas, I mean, you go down, go down the list, and he's had these people inside of the Vatican, inside of the Vatican. I mean, Malthusian eugenicist Jews. Oh, can't get enough of them. He's completely, the Pontifical Academy for Life has been completely gutted and replaced with pro-aborts, Malthusian eugenicists. Um, did you did you see? I think um, speaking of speaking of Malthusian eugenicists, I think I saw a headline that euthanasia is now the number one leading cause of death in Canada. Boy, that happened quick, didn't it? I did I mean, see that. Yes, I'm not surprised at all. That's the obvious trajectory of where all that stuff goes but um the the speed the rapidity with which it happened i mean you if you're sick with anything for any reason the the there's a female um canadian army veteran who apparently you know she had a combat injury and i believe she's in a wheelchair i think she's a paraplegic and she's been petitioning the government that she needed some sort of an access ramp or something built for her um i don't know if it was at her house or what it was 
and um, a letter comes back and offers her, um, what is it called, MAID, medically assisted, what would M-A-I-D, medically assisted Suicide, in other words. Something death, yeah, but there's an acronym for it. Um, well, this it's this just, reminds me of a video. I think I might have shared the link with you today, actually. It, it was Tim Poole talking about how not only is euthanasia now the number one cause of death in Canada, but one of the highlight cases of euthanasia, the person really wanted to live. Yeah. But, it was just because it was poor, right? Poverty was the reason. Yeah. Yes? The, the, yeah. There, there was no affordable or or easy option to go through to to get uh, life-saving care the person wanted to live but but given the obstacles and the force uh applied upon them they yeah. went ahead and accepted suicide yeah i saw it, it, w- it was a man and it was just pure poverty and he said i don't want to die i want to live but I, there's just i keep getting he kept getting, he was disabled and then he turned 65. And so his disability pension was cut dramatically. And so now he doesn't have, he, he, according to his line of thought, he doesn't have enough money to survive. And they, it was put before him that if you can, if you can go doctor shopping and you can get two doctors to sign off on euthanasia, that the state will kill you because you cite poverty. This is happening. This is happening right now. This man is still alive. He only has one doctor who has signed off. But they told him, yeah, you can go doctor shopping. It doesn't have to be your your primary care physician. It doesn't have to be this. You can totally go, um, go doctor shopping. And as long as you can come up with two, we'll do it. Now, the other thing, and I wish that... Um, I saw another video that a Canadian woman did documenting just horrific, horrific um, death injection side effects. I mean, this woman, it did a number on her, and I mean hard. And she's she's been just absolutely debilitated and stricken, and she wasn't screwing around, and she made this video and went down the line. And nobody would nobody would return her calls. She couldn't get doctor's appointments. Um, you know, they would write in her chart that she was that she was psych- psychiatrically ill. Blah blah blah. Couldn't get anybody to respond to her. As just as a science experiment, again, just as a science experiment, I think that lady should write a letter or tell her doctor that she's interested in this Canadian government-sponsored euthanasia and just see how fast. I bet you anything. This woman has been has been absolutely crippled by the death injection for going on, uh, well, it's a year and a half. I mean, she was she was maybe over a year and a half because she said that she was one of the first ones because I think I think she worked in healthcare and so she was, you know, allegedly one of the first group of people who was in line to get this, and she got it. And um, it's going, it's over a year and a half for her. Can't get anybody to respond to her. I bet you that they would have her lined up, ready to go for euthanasia inside of four weeks. And again, I think she should do pers- pursue it just as an experiment to see how quick the reaction comes. 
they're saying, oh, we're over, we're overwrought, we're too busy, we don't, we just don't have the personnel to to deal with everything because you know, the COVID, we, we were ju we're just all so busy and overworked. Man, if somebody says in Canada, if someone even just rolls their eyes and wistfully says, oh man, I should just kill myself. There's somebody, there's somebody standing there with a clipboard instantly ready to make that happen. And I, I just think it would be really interesting if people up there would start doing that and just say, look how fast, look how fast they've got bureaucrats and they've got people ready to go if you say you want to kill yourself. Um, but if you actually need treatment for cancer, well, then you have to wait four years or something like that. You know, it's although um, if this person said, I, I, I'm, I know I was born a female with the, the female body, but I really identify as a male. I bet they could get treatment to have reassignment yep. surgery yep. much faster. And maybe it Good comes point. with the benefits of all the other surgery that they needed anyway. I'm yeah. not recommending <laughs> yeah. that necessarily, but <laughs> no, it's exactly the same point. If you're if you want the medical establishment to do something and or the pharmaceutical establishment, but I repeat myself, it's the same thing. If you want them to do something satanic, evil, if they want if you want them to help you commit suicide or for them to kill you, if you want to radically mutilate your body, if you want them to kill your unborn child inside of you, oh, come on in, come on in, the door's open. We can do, we can do it this afternoon, we can do it tomorrow. But you know, if you have cancer, then well, you know, waiting list is, is, is years and it, it routinely is literally years they tell people up there in oncology wards that you know you can wait two years or go down to the u.s and pay cash and have it done and that's actually what a lot of canadians do so i i, I used to do a lot of business in canada teach taught a lot of cattle marketing schools in in the prairie provinces of canada and they would all say the same thing don't ever believe for a second what you hear about we have free health care there's you know nationalized socialized medicine and it's all included in our taxes we all they they would say we all have to go down to montana we all go down to montana if we need anything serious done or the ones who are farther east like in manitoba they might go down into into minnesota they might go to minneapolis or something like that the rest of them are like oh yeah we just we all have american doctors and we cross the border and we pay cash for everything so in a certain sense it's it, the cost of healthcare is far more onerous in Canada, because they're pay. They have the tax burden. They have this massive, you know, what do they call it? Um, it's not just a sales tax. It's there's also service tax and all that. I mean, the, ta the the tax that you pay at cash registers in Canada is enormous. Plus their income tax and all this. It's like a so, value added tax or something. Value added tax, yeah. So they're um, they're paying all of that. And then they have to pay cash when they need actual, real, serious medical treatment. But they come which, down to the United States to do it, which in a way kind of reminds me of homeschoolers here in the United States. We pay taxes to the school district to support yep. whatever they're doing at the school district. But then we also pay out of our pocket for all of the curriculum needs and everything else that we do with our, our students. Yep. Uh, in my family, I've got a couple of boys who play homeschool football. There's a, a, a there's a an organization in my city 
that um, it, it's geared primarily toward, toward homeschoolers. And yes, we pay out of pocket for them to do that. I've got multiple kids who do homeschool uh, orchestra and, and mm-hmm. symphony. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blessed with, I, I, I think it's on my side of the family. Maybe it's on my wife's side. I don't know. We have, we have music in the family. That's for sure. And, and uh, multiples of my kids are actually quite gifted at that. And yes, we pay for that, which if we went to public school, would that all just be covered? I don't know. But we're paying for those jabronis as well as paying for my own kids and all of their needs curriculum-wise, extracurricular-wise. I imagine the Canadians are in a similar situation saying, hey, look, we're paying all this taxes, all these taxes for health care, but we're not actually getting the health care we need. Exactly. Um, these people south of us threw a tea party to uh, to deal with all this stuff once upon a time. Maybe we should consider doing that, too. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if Canadians are that motivated. Well, after I mean, they the truckers were that was that was kind of until they got their edifying. bank accounts frozen. Yep. Yep, and that was effective. Justin Castro, his tyranny, and that's a taste of what's to come. I mean, that's what the central bank digital currency, that's what that's all about, folks. It's going to be you say something, I say something that somebody doesn't like, and oops, my card doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't matter how much money they're sitting in your bank account. It just doesn't matter. You will have no access to your money. It'll be sitting there and they'll say, we haven't stolen it. It's still sitting there, but I'm sorry, but we just can't permit you to be, um, to be putting out disinformation and, and hate speech like this. So I, I think yeah. I have two or three PayPal accounts I haven't closed yet that collectively have three or $400 in them. And I cannot get to that money or move it because the account needs to be verified or some nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's something along those lines. It, it's going to be like that with regard to CBDC, central bank digital currency, going forward. And something that I heard recently was with regard to Bitcoin. And, and the idea was that when everything goes CBDC, Bitcoin will be the barter currency. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting thought to think about as long as we have electricity. Well, but yeah. this, it's an interesting thought to think about with regard to, say, you know, one of the podcasts I listen to is called is the Meat Mafia, and and they they are a bunch of cattle people for the most part, but they they do a lot a lot of things based in Bitcoin. So you can buy a half a beef, quarter beef, full beef, two beefs if you want to, in Bitcoin, or things like pemmican bars or things that are made from grass finished beef. You can buy this all in Bitcoin, and and it seems to me that. One of the alternative currencies coming up might be Bitcoin in the sense that it's the the alternative currency that there will be no legal off-ramp to it, but I don't know that there will be any legal, I, I check that now that I'm saying it, I'm sure there will be legal ramifications for somebody like a cattle um, producer who is selling things in Bitcoin, uh, that the fact that they're not doing it in CBDC. Yeah. I, I, I can see that as possibly, while the electricity is still on, being a way of, of being the most efficient barter currency. Not that it's the best thing out there possible, but I can see that being the the default barter currency. I mean, I'm not a 
I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist by any means. I'm highly skeptical about the future of it. But at the same time, I'm looking at it and saying, do I really want to cash out and spend what I have right now or see where it's going to go? Because, and I don't, I don't have a huge amount in it. It's, it's somewhat trivial in terms of where it's going to go in the future. I don't know. It'll probably get all locked down at some point. Or, or stolen as you know as current events are, are unfolding no 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 bitcoin cannot be stolen if you don't put it in something uh, like tell no, the, no, no, the no. ftx or whatever that the uh, the crazy the cult kids uh they how, how much do they steal 10 billion okay but that that's like um binance and and coinbase and all the rest if you have your all your bitcoin holdings in a in a um an entity that has possession of your encryption keys yes they can steal everything that's like saying okay and i'm gonna i'm i'm i want you to give me all of the login information necessary to access your bank account and then you hold your money in this bank account at the same time who's got control of it well i just i i still think i don't understand it and the other thing i'm thinking about is no no, no seriously think about this for I, a minute. I, I literally could not buy anything today with bitcoin if I needed food, there is nowhere that I could go anywhere around where I live and I, and I could walk in and I don't know, I presume what you have this, some sort of an app on your phone or something that I could walk into a, a supermarket, any sort of a food vendor, any sort of a restaurant and say, I need food. I have Bitcoin. I can pay you in Bitcoin. It's not that simple, honestly. It's not going to be restaurants and and uh, typical services. You will have to seek out cattle growers who are part of this network and and equivalents thereof. And I I mentioned the meat mafia and Texas Slam and those folks. Uh, they are definitely Bitcoin true believers for the moment. Uh, they might change their their tune in the moment or in, in later on. But to go back to that analogy, if Whatever money you have in at the moment, I assume you have it in some kind of situation where you have complete control of it and somebody can't take it away from you at, at some point. I'm, well, okay, I'll, I'll use the example of cash under the mattress. Mm -hmm. You have complete physical control of all means of getting to that unit of exchange. Mm -hmm. When it comes to Bitcoin, no, okay, well, hold on. What if you had that money in a bank account? Let's say um, Wells Fargo. Just it for sake of example. could be swept at any time. It could be swept at any <laughs> exactly. time. Exactly. Yes. If your money is in Wells Fargo, it's your account, but who can grab it? Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to Bitcoin, if you have your, your Bitcoin holdings with Binance or FTX or, well, FTX doesn't count at this point because they're screwed up beyond belief, or Coinbase, the encryption keys that allow access to your account are held by the exchange themselves. That's like having your money at Wells Fargo. Mm -hmm. If you have a wallet where all the encryption keys are your responsibility, you hold them and nobody could possibly take it from you unless they coerce you to give it over. That's like having cash on your mattress, but they don't know where your mattress is. I just still can't get over the hump of it's contingent upon the electricity being on and what good is a quote unquote barter currency if absolutely no one around you accepts it or even even has the ability to accept it if they wanted to in an extremist situation you are you are absolutely correct if if the power goes out like texas blackout last year mm -hmm. and 
other situations where actually it's on my notes to talk about later power grid attack in north carolina yeah if the electricity goes out your ability to transact bitcoin kind of goes away just ever so slightly yeah <laughs> indeed indeed and that's that's i just i can't get excited about it because it just it doesn't it doesn't exist sufficiently it's um it's just way 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 too nebulous and the way i think about it is it's kind of like uh 401k investments or uh tax free tax free municipals that will pay off over 20 years it's something i can't touch at the moment and i'm putting a certain amount of faith maybe optimistically maybe too optimistically in the idea that the world won't end between now and when i want to collect it uh, we don't know when the world's going to end the 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 world the, the the phrase to go by there is aji quadagis do what you're doing keep keep going as though things are going to go the way they are love god and do what thou wilt and if god decides to intervene in the meantime okay fine that's force majeure and you can't argue with that but when it comes to bitcoin I've got a little bit of money in it. Not a lot, just a little bit to play with. Honestly, it has more to do with podcasting 2.0 than anything else. I'm not truly investing in it, mm -hmm. but I have enough in it where I might be able to buy half a beef if somebody wanted to sell it to me. Um, it, it's the kind of thing, actually, at this point in time, I probably would cash it all out to get beef. <laughs> but yeah. um, but uh, it it's it's something where... You know, is it is the reflex principle where if the governments are saying we want everybody to go to CBDCs, then maybe I should be thinking, what's the alternative? And yes, I know they're going to come after me. And I know I can't trade this back to central bank, central bank digital currencies, but maybe I can keep this in a sort of um, barter economy and going because I think going forward until the electricity gets cut off, Bitcoin might actually be the barter currency. But but I'm, I'm just brainstorming here. If I had silver coinage, gold, I could at least have a sporting chance of being able to find somebody who would take it. There is somebody listening to this podcast right now, I know for a fact, who is in the cattle business and is into Bitcoin. And I would ask this person... If I wanted to buy half a B from you and offer Bitcoin on one hand or silver on the other hand, which would you take? I'm curious what the person would say, to be honest. I really don't know. You should ask and on the next episode, did. report back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you just did. Okay. <laughs> I just did. I just did. Yeah. It's it, at the end of the show, when we talk about the, the donors and, and at the end of the segment, people who donated, it, it's the person who, who donates via um, Boostergrams. Uh, yeah. the, he, he's the one more than anybody else who has done that. And, um, yeah, I, I've talked to him quite a bit, um, offline as well. And, and, uh, I, I'm curious. I mean, at, at the moment, I, I, I don't know which way he, he leans at the moment, but, um, th there's a good argument made. I mean, the, the, the big difference between the two is that silver, I can pay to somebody I know locally as opposed mm -hmm. to Bitcoin, as long as this, the, as long as the network is up and going. I can pay that to somebody who is an eight hour drive away and then go drive down to collect. It is something where you don't need a trusted third party. That's, that is the, actually the great thing about Bitcoin. There is no requirement for a trusted third party. It, the, mm -hmm. the encryption proof of stake 
that is what the value is in the network. But in terms of, okay, but the plug can be pulled on that. Well, sure. In which case now we're down to local, who do you know, face to face? Yep. And what, and what do you physically have in your possession that you can give them as a medium of exchange? That isn't, that isn't a commodity in and of itself. That isn't a physical, uh, like food, for example. I, I'm not talking about, you know, you swapping, you know, or, or even a cattleman. A cattleman swapping, you know, one, one steer for, you know, a, a used car or something, something like that. You know, I'm talking about... Well, you know, y'all, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about metal, metal coinage. That's what I'm talking about. That's where you just, it seems to me when you just keep cir circling back and ending up at exactly the same place and saying, what at the end of the day is going to continue to function if this, if when absolute all hell breaks loose? Well, it's commodities. Um, I mean, whether it's metal in the form of coins or metal in the form of, form of lead in a cartridge. Yeah. I mean, I could probably buy half of beef with 4,000 rounds of nine millimeter. Mm -hmm. 4,000. Okay. I, I'm, I'm okay. Maybe the exchange rate is off there, but the yeah. point is <laughs> I could probably buy a certain amount of beef with, with a certain amount of ammo. Oh, absolutely. My cattle marketing DVD set, um, which I just had a post not too long ago, and several people have ordered it. Thank you very much. And I literally, the reason why there's a second edition is I redid it. I, ha I made the first edition in 2008. I did the second edition in March of 2011 because I wanted to add modules on hyperinflation, barter, and... Oh, and uh, debt theory and, and the monumental importance of getting out of debt because I knew I knew what was coming and I wanted to get those three concepts and those three modules into the DVD. And it's uh, it's aged well. It is aged very, very well. We've we have had um, I mean, the, the inflation in cattle started pretty intensely. 10 years ago i mean right after i i base right after i quit and went to the proverbial dan van down by the river the price of cattle within the first year of my going into the van down by the river the price of cattle almost doubled i want to say it was just it was astounding and oh i was every day thank you jesus for getting me out of that because as a commodity broker, you would have been you would have been most of the time on the wrong side of that as people were trying to hedge and wanting to be short. And I was just, you know, lecturing and railing and going on and on and on, trying desperately. And this is also in the curriculum too, talking about a hyperinflationary environment. You don't, you don't hedge, you don't sell into an inflationary environment. It's the cattle themselves that are hedging you against the inflation because they are a food commodity. And as inflation occurs, the price of the of the base essential, especially food commodities, is going to pace the inflation. That's where you're going to see, you know, the 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 hideous brunt of inflation is in things like food. Um, and that's why it hurts so bad. 
What you have as a cattleman that's protecting you against an inflationary environment is that you're dealing in the base food commodity that is going to inflate as the broad economy um, suffers inflation. And so why in the world would you want to be selling? Why would you be negating the protection that you have by holding a physical a physical food commodity? And, you know, but they've all just been so brainwashed um, it, over the last half century by commodity brokers telling them, oh, no, if you want to be a risk manager, you have to sell, you have to short the board, you have to hedge. And it's it's exactly the wrong thing to do. Exactly the wrong thing to do. It's it's in fact, it's just it's shooting yourself in the head. It's making sure that you will be the first to die if there's any sort of inflation when the when the sick irony is, is that your natural God given economic position is one of the strongest in the world because you're holding and you're dealing in a base food commodity, which is which is in and of itself a hedge against inflation. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's gone. And it's gone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So at one point in time, we were talking about uh, sending good vibes and Jorge Bergoglio and um, the, the, the the possible forerunner prophet of the Antichrist. Um, recently, Time mentioned their, their or proclaimed their man of the year. Um, I can never remember his first name. Zelensky. But the way they did the M on the yeah. Time magazine cover was satanic horns. Is yeah. Zelensky the Antichrist, perhaps? Um, I'd be surprised. Uh, well, he, 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 he is a Jew. Is, he technically is from the tribe. He's from the tribe. He's kind of young, but he's not, he's not likable in the global sense the antichrist is going to be incredibly attractive in fact so attractive that you know faithful faithful christians are going to fall for him um well that makes me want to short circuit that makes me that makes me want to short circuit the whole note i had there in the bullet point on Zelensky and just skip to the next one somebody who's sort of likable at the moment and at least in the media is elon musk well and, yeah and, and how and, did and, and also, how did he dress for halloween oh as baphomet yeah well, no, specifically the outfit was the servant of Satan. No, oh, specifically really? servant of Lucifer. It had it had the Baphomet logo on the chest plate. Yeah. But I, I, I read some commentary someplace that, that the outfit itself said, I am the servant of Lucifer. That's what it said. And it still wow. is his Twitter profile pic. Yeah. And a lot of people are falling for him. The other char characteristic of the Antichrist that Musk aligns with much more is that the Antichrist is going to present himself as having solutions and answers to massive global problems. And boy, if, if there's anybody in the world right now who checks that box, it's Elon Musk. The other thing, um, again, as a public service to to the listenership, I think maybe a lot of people aren't aware of this. In addition to the whole Halloween costume, servant of Lucifer, Baphomet on his on his costume, um, he has tweeted some images, some memes that are just spectacularly, spectacularly blasphemous. Recently. Um, 
there was there was one and it was it, it was a it was a man who I think was supposed to be our Lord. And he was um, being tempted by a woman who was in a, a sodomitically pornographic position. We'll put it put it that way. And the the Jesus figure had was labeled Musk and, or was labeled Trump. And the the temptress woman, with um with a twitter logo over her um exposed posterior fundament which she was tempting him with was um was musk or twitter or something like tempting trying to get trump to go back onto twitter um and i mean it was just this image of basically of our lord being tempted into into sodomy with a woman and standing there and trying to resist it. It was, it, it was, I sent it to, uh, to you and nurse Claire and I think Dr. Beep and was like, this is that right there. That right there is an indication that if you have Twitter, you should get off of it immediately because don't, don't fall for this. Don't fall for this guy. He's involved in all that, all that creepy stuff. I mean, you should see some of the women that he is bred with and and what they look like and it's it's truly disturbing so no Zelensky no Zelensky is just a, a faggot uh, pawn of the Washington DC foggy bottom you know the new world order deep state in Washington DC um, but Musk is something that ticks those boxes and allegedly seems to be solving problems and and providing some sort of weird leadership and also remember the guy wants people to sign up to commit suicide and he wants to put them on some sort of a rocket to mars which would be absolute 1000 percent suicide for these people um and his his fantasy is just is to is to depopulate the earth and just go have having people living in living in pods on mars or something like that it's just it's insanity or even the moon even the moon that's it's it's suicidal just death wishy uh anti-human malthusian he's like well no he, he wants to save the human race he wants there to be a remnant it, this this is abject madness human beings cannot survive and and thrive on other planets there's no atmosphere that's breathe breathable there's the gravity is all wrong and that screws with your body in in tremendous ways this is if you know anything about science whatsoever you know that this is that this is abject nonsense and it's just a means for people to go commit suicide that's all it is so well what about the israeli moon bases on the far side of the moon well that's yeah uh, they it, that, well you know those israelis they have all those those secret um force fields and beams that they use so i don't know they probably have some sort of a gravitational correction force field that they use i'm you know, sure it's, I mean, it's not even in my show notes to talk about the artemis mission but um one of the podcasts i've mentioned we've mentioned many times is the no agenda show and adam curry is a big uh, shall we say a skeptic of whether or not human beings ever went to the moon in the first place. And one of the reasons he mentions this is not only the fact that uh, the radiation that is present in the Van Allen belt, which a 
craft would have to transit between Earth and Moon to get there. Mm -hmm. But the fact that um, people in NASA have said um, humans have never been beyond 450 miles of Earth, or what was 450,000? They have made comments that contradict the 60s um, Apollo missions. And saying that we don't know what, what spacecraft would have to go through to go through the Van Allen belt. It's like, well, wait a minute. Didn't we go to the moon in the 60s? Shouldn't we have data about this? Anyway, uh, so so we had the Artemis mission coming back soon. And um, this has got Musk's fingerprints all over it as well. So I'm mm -hmm. sure something will come back there. But uh, with regard to Musk, um, yeah, so... I think he's tied up with um, military and government uh, interests. And one of the things that, that has launched recently is the whole idea of you can buy your own blue check mark on Twitter. Have you seen mm -hmm. this? Oh, yeah. Well, he started at 20, but then he dropped it to eight. So, and now when people, when people come at him, he says, yeah, yeah, give me your $8 and walks away. Well, $8 if you're on Android, $12 if you're on iOS, which to me is funny because iOS people spend more more money on apps than Android people do, so that that I and iOS people probably will spend it. But the idea here is, and, and I don't think people will catch on to this. If you are spending money to buy something online, that is a form of verification, and it puts Twitter into the realm of PayPal, where there are KYC requirements. Know your customer. You have to yeah. upload your ID. You cannot be anonymous. 1099Ks are going to be filed on you and all the rest. Yeah, because hasn't Musk, Musk said that one of the aspects that he's adding to Twitter is the ability to send people money? Absolutely. In fact, yeah. that that has not only gone live, I think it's today actually, or was it yesterday? Really? With, with regard to buying the blue check mark, they were going to do that last month, but now I think yesterday is where it goes live. And they have said that um, all the people who had blue check marks in the past. So if if you're a person listening to this podcast who had a, had had a blue check mark in the past because you're a bona fide journalist, um, you're going to lose that. It's not going to be grandfathered in. So you're going to have to pay for it going forward. Well, going along with payment means you have to be verified through your payment. Mm -hmm. Now there are ways to sidestep that. I mean, I could go sign up for PayPal and get a blue check mark. And say that my name is Donald Duck and that my address is is uh, Anaheim, California. And Twitter doesn't have the ability to issue a warrant to find out if that's correct, but the federal government does. Mm -hmm. It's a service called privacy.com. It's not that secret. It's just something that allows you to hide from the um, or, or surveillance capitalists out there on the web. And I use it and I make great effect. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast right now, uh, we're using a service called CleanFeed, and I pay for that using privacy.com. Hmm, and okay. I guarantee you, I am not using my real name or address, but my real money is being transferred to privacy.com. And as long as somebody doesn't want to issue a warrant to figure it out, figure out who I am, they're not going to know who I am. And I'm not worried about the government figuring that out because I file it on my taxes. So and they don't really care. Um, where's it going with this? Oh, Elon Musk. So he wants, he has said for the longest time that he wants to have the everything app. And don't forget, he was involved with the foundation of PayPal and it was supposed well, yeah, to be. That's how he made his first several billion was he, he made PayPal 
for eBay, for all of you oldies out there who remember this, this is what, this is before, this is before Y2K, isn't it? When was, when did eBay start? Oh, it was before Y2K. Yeah. I remember hearing about eBay. Well, okay. I remember hearing about eBay at least in 97 because I remember it was, um, with my Navy reserve trip to Japan and, and some of the folks that I was in the unit with at the time were talking about this thing called eBay, mm -hmm. but PayPal and eBay didn't merge until 10 years later, I don't think. But with regard to Elon's plans and CBDC, and I, these two are merged, I think, he has this idea of the everything app. And it's kind of like WeChat for China, only more so. So it's going to be payment processing. It's going to be identity proof. It's going to be um, communication. And it, it could be end-to-end -end encrypted. I mean, you could chat on Telegram or Signal or Wire or Threema or all these other different services. And somebody who wanted to to put a, a, a wiretap, so to speak, on those services and say, I want to know what SuperNerd is saying to other people. Those services are going to say, we can't tell you what he's saying. We can tell you who he's talking to and when he's talking to him. Because that's just the nature of the network. But it's been revealed in this, in this Twitter doc dump that the Twitter admin people were had the ability to see people's direct messages on Twitter. They were looking at that. There are screen there are screen caps of their of their dashboard as administrators. And one of the clear um, uh, buttons on that dashboard is DMs. What happened in the past with Twitter and what's going to happen in the future is apples and oranges. It's lightning and lightning bug. These are totally separate issues. Elon is going he's stoking up all the controversy right now with the Twitter files and all this stuff to get engagement and to keep people active on Twitter so that when he pulls out the everything app, x.com, mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to be called, it's it's going to be the WeChat for Americans. And it's going to be social networking, communication, payments, everything. And it's going to be deeply tied into the, into the government. Hey, look yep. at everything else Elon has done. SpaceX is yep. Paid for by the government. Tesla, paid for by the government. Well, yeah. And who benefits from self-driving cars and cars that could be taken over that are self-driving? Yep. Um, what about uh, Starlink? He's giving away, um, well, air quotes, giving away internet access to the Ukrainians. No, he's charging the DOD $100 million a month yep. to give them free internet access and turn off access to all the Russians, et cetera. Yep. Um, Elon is not to be trusted. No. He's a charismatic individual. Yes, no doubt about it. He's the Tony Stark of our age in, in real life. But can he be trusted? No. Nope. Not at all. Is he going to do things that are interesting and make us go, wow? Yeah. But don't trust him and don't engage in it. Yep. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm still on Twitter. Actually, you know, I haven't logged into Twitter in probably three or four weeks. But I'm still on Twitter, and, and I check in from time to time. And one of the things I noticed is that now when you look at uh, – if, if you tweet something that has engagement – and I think I I think I think tweeted something recently that Nurse Claire had said in one of our chats, and then she retweeted. And and uh, if you look at the people reacting to it, there's new now a new column saying uh, Twitter blue, people who are, who are responding to it, people who have paid the $8 a month to be Twitter verified. And I was like, Really? Seriously, this is mm. a, this is a, this is a, a, a gimmick and a scam all the same. Why would you do that? Yeah. And 
I think this is one of our bullet points. Um, in terms of this Twitter doc dump and all this, and oh my goodness, they were shadow banning people and they were doing this, that, and the other. And what a, this is one of the most, this is the most tremendous revelation since Watergate. In fact, this leaves Watergate in the dust. And I'm, I'm sitting here looking at all this, shaking my head. What are you people talking about? I quit Twitter in 2014. 2014 because it was revealed in 2014 that they were shadow banning anyone who was to the right of Vladimir Lenin politically. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to participate in this. I had, when I quit, I think I had 8,400 followers and I was following zero. I didn't follow anybody. The only reason I had Twitter, and you remember this super nerd, because you put the widget on, on my blog, is so that I could have that sidebar, that Twitter sidebar on barnhart.biz to the right of the blog, so that if I saw just, you know, a blog post or a, 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 any post, any story, any link that I wanted to point out, but I didn't want to do an entire post on my blog about it, well, I would just do it, I would tweet it on Twitter, and then it would be sitting there on my blog on that sidebar. It's the only reason I had it. I very, very rarely engaged and, you know, spoke to anybody, responded to anybody. It was just there so that I could have that microblog. But in 2014, this was common knowledge that they were, that they were shadow banning anyone, anyone on the right like well i'm not i'm not gonna have anything to do with this this has no integrity i'm done i don't need this and i i walked away from it and i remember there was one you know somewhat prominent catholic journalist who was who was really surprised that i did that because he was following me and well why why did you do that and he said well they're they have no integrity they're shadow banning people you so you know someone like me presumably i tweet something but Nobody can see it. Nobody who's following me can see it. It doesn't, it doesn't show up anywhere. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Why would you, this, I've never understood this. Why would you continue to do business with someone who you know is screwing you? And people do this all the time. You've got, you've got objective, observable facts proving that some outfit or organization is dishonest, has no integrity, as, and is screwing you, and you continue to go back for more and do business with them. I, I, don't, I don't understand. The devil's advocate position of this is how much did you pay Twitter? Zero. And how many of the tweets that you made didn't show up on your website because some character named Super Nerd put some code on the website to show all your tweets on the sidebar? They all showed up on the sidebar, yes. And... That's what you wanted, right? Uh, I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I'm not trying to talk you into going back to Twitter. I'm just it, saying. It, what, but it wasn't. It wasn't about me. It was about the integrity of the organization. Don't don't associate with. Don't hang around. Don't do business with bad people. And it was. It was. Just. It was observable fact that these were bad people. Okay. Don't do business with them. Fair and you and you say, well, Anne, you didn't pay for anything. But remember, with all of these things, with all social media platforms, you yourself are the commodity. You're you're the product. 
it's it's why do you think Facebook has been free all this time? Because you're the product. Oh, Google and Facebook have been very upfront in saying that uh, they make their money from aggregating information about you and making yep. targeted advertisements to you. Of course. It's not, with, especially with regard to Google, but especially Facebook now, it's not um, we want to sell to soccer moms between the age of 28 and 38 who may like box wines and, and have kids who play soccer. <laughs> box it's wines. we want to sell to <laughs> Susan. We want to sell to Karen. We want to sell to Trisha. Mm -hmm. it, it's specific. They, they can get down to the individual now based on the psychographic profiles that they're able to create. And I, I, can, I can attest to this when I go on to Facebook and go to Facebook Marketplace. They want to sell me Canon RF lenses and an R6 and things like that because that's what I'm interested in at the moment. Um, it, it, it's not too hard for them to figure out what is this person's interest and, and what can we sell them? Ultimately, yeah. they want to make money. And maybe they're being paid off on the backside by the government, too, to collect intelligence. I think we talked about this once before on the podcast, and I'll have mm -hmm. to find the link. That um, there was a story in the, uh, was it the New Yorker or some some big magazine that uh, was told from the point of view of Mark Zuckerberg. They were having some meeting one afternoon at Facebook headquarters and uh, the head of the FBI dropped into the meeting, uh, the, the, the meeting and said, hey, I just want to say hi since I was in the building. Dude, they're in California. They're out in, in Silicon Valley. Why was the head of the FBI there? They yeah. got an office at FBI headquarters. Yeah. And from what you if you've been following the the Twitter files that have been coming out, uh, which I, I just think is, is to, uh, Elon Musk wants people to engage on Twitter and follow what's going on on Twitter, because one of the ironclad rules with the journalists that he's he's uh, he's commissioned to do these Twitter file dumps is they have to publish it on Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah. But uh, one, one of the things they're, they're mentioning here is, is that um how is it going with this? Oh, that that the the FBI was was in contact with Twitter, saying, "Hey, watch out for this stuff coming up." There was absolute collusion going on, and even recently, uh, Mark Zuckerberg was on the Joe Rogan show and said that uh, somebody from the FBI showed up in, in before the twenty twenty election and said, "Hey, there's going to be some Russian disinformation coming out about um, Biden or his son." Uh, just be aware of it and know it's, mm -hmm. it's Russian dis disinformation and spike it when you get it. Yep. Oh, and by and by the way, by the way, everybody will be shocked to hear this, but the one, the main, the two main censor people at Twitter, one was the Indian chick. I can't, I can't remember her name, and the other one is some Jew named Yol. What's his last name? Y O E L Roth. I, I don't, I don't even know. Um, He's a sodomite. He's a sodomite. So, I mean, the whole thing is just such a, the entire world is just descending into, into the clown. It is just 1000% clown world now. Everybody's a sodomite. Everybody's a tranny. Nuclear boy is stealing your luggage. <laughs> I mean, watch out, watch out for nuclear tranny boy when you're standing at the at baggage claim, y'all. He's he's ladies, he's coming for you. He's coming for you. And how that guy thinks he could possibly get away with it the way he looks. I mean, he's not like a five ten average person yeah. in a gray suit with a hat who just blends in with everybody. Yeah. But but with regard to uh, all the other nonsense going on, I don't think the the homosexual angle has anything to do with it. It's more just the, well, I mean, there may be overlap. Yes, I'll give it that. It's the 
the inclination toward evil. I, you have to admit that the way society is going right now, we are not biased toward virtue. And it doesn't take in just the homosexuals who are leaning toward evil. I mean, even heterosexuals and some, I say air quote, normal people aren't necessarily leaning toward the virtuous side of the, of, of the, of the path at this point. My friend, that is the understatement of the podcast. Yes. Right. Yes. So the, the fact that you pin this only on homosexuals, so that's, that's, that's the point I want to, I want to uh, take issue with you on. It's not just them. Yes, they yeah, have yeah. issues. They have problems. They should be burned to the stake. Yes, I agree with all that. But <laughs> they aren't the only problem. Yes. It's not a vacuum. If it only got down to the point where they were the problem. No, that'd, that'd be, be easy. What did it work? That'd be a good day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that was a very easy problem to take care of. But uh, no, no, you're absolutely 100% right. Yep. All right. I think we, I think we like tangentially hit most of our bullet points ultimately didn't no, we? we we've only got to about one third of them and, oh, and, and one okay. of the items one of the items i got to here on on the point i'm gonna skip over james baker because i couldn't care less he's, he's a politician therefore shouldn't be trusted anyway just like homosexuals but um so <laughs> when, when it comes to twitter they banned kanye west finally and for good even oh, though even though they reinstated kanye. a whole bunch of people except for alex jones and i don't know why that is because he's not gay but um <laughs> but but they banned Kanye West for crying out loud. And I, to be honest, I couldn't identify a Kanye West song if you played it to me. I nope. know, I, I know some of the titles of the songs that he's done or pieces. Oh, I don't, I don't know even know songs. that. Nope. Well, there's, nope. there's apparently one of them was called Jesus Walks. I couldn't identify it if you played it. And no. I, you know, and I say this even having gone and like searched out on YouTube some of the Kanye West music and listened to it. I was like, I've never heard this before. And five minutes later, I couldn't identify, identify it again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How in the world this guy is some kind of earth shaking. We got to change everything and be so on edge about this cat. I don't understand what the, what's going on here. Well, let's see. Um, he is, he's teetering on the precipice of mental retardation um allegedly he, i mean to, and to be honest oh, allegedly i, mean, I, I don't pretty clear i i don't question it but i'm not a psychologist i haven't talked to the guy and i say this from the pr perspective of one of the podcasts i love to listen to is mofax and mm -hmm. and i've mentioned this many times and i will put this in the show link the show notes this time the link to the show, link in the show notes yeah i got it now um there was a recent, or the most recent one as of the time we're recording, the title was called Yay and They. And air quotes, they. Mm -hmm. Imagine who you want with that. But the theory that Mo had at the time is that Kanye was trying to say all of these controversial and offensive things to free himself from all the contracts he was under, whether it was adidas or oh everybody against else. the jews because he wanted out of all of his music contracts and nike and or no adidas or whatever it is well and yeah. kanye had been on record saying that he could say even anti-semitic things and he couldn't be canceled and they, uh, there was a joke made by david Chappelle that uh, even adidas who were died in the old nazis in the world war ii dropped this guy because he was so offensive yeah and and so what is Kanye really up to? Is is he really trying to be free man walking? Or is he just 15 screws loose and in need of a straitjacket? You give him way too much credit. He's teetering on the precipice of mental retardation and he's clearly mentally ill. 
So why is it? So why is it that you and all of us have heard that this guy is the most profound musical genius of the 21st century? Nobody, I've never heard any of his songs. Ne never, I couldn't name any of it. What, where has this come from? Who has been pushing this idea that this guy is so incredibly brilliant in all of this? I'm sorry, but it seems it seems to me that yes, they, I'll say it, the Jews run the music industry, run the music industry. So and that's, he that's is, beyond coincidental. I mean, I, I, oh yeah, that's not even debatable. In terms yeah. of people who are into rap, I mean, I know. I, I've heard of Eric Wright, Easy E, and Dr. Dre and Eminem and 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 Snoop Dogg and some of the other people. I couldn't identify anything Kanye West has done if I tried. Right, right. and it's we're and we're not talking about rap. The genre is. Many people will argue that if you go back and look at the origins of it, that it was it was a genre that was created by corporate music industry Jews, you know, probably as as some sort of a as a, as a nefarious cultural poison. Um, and so it seems to me that that Kanye West ranting and raving about the Jews when he he is their product his entire his entire existence in, in the in his capacity as being involved in music in any way is was 100% concocted and handed to him by corporate music industry Jews um i think he's stupid he's mentally ill and they they know this and they're just like we're gonna we're gonna hype this guy up. We're gonna get the entire planet hanging on his every word, and then he's he's absolutely uh, get ready to do your um your little mother superior thing. The guy is absolutely bad. So just turn him loose and let him embarrass, humiliate, and discredit himself, and and, and just sit back and bask in the glow of his of his insanity. And then and then paint this as if he's some sort of a, you know, far right or whatever he thinks. I mean, this guy is absolutely out of his mind. Also, getting back to the sodomites, he he goes down there and what? Who is it? Milo, Milo, the church militant fag gets gets Kanye and that that Nazi Fuentes kid gets Nick them Fuentes. into. He, Nick Fuentes gets them into Mar-a-Lago into a dinner with Trump. I mean, this is how Trump. Let's talk about how freaking stupid do you have to be? You're Donald Trump and you yourself have no capacity to type into a search engine who these people are. You don't have staff who are vetting who are vetting that's one of the most even in the tiny teeny tiny little bit of notoriety that i had after the Koran burning i had people calling me all the time wanting me to come on their on their show on their radio show on their podcast the most difficult and the, and the most time consuming part of it was vetting all of these people so like for example um 
who's who's the the absolutely crazy David Icky or whatever oh, David Ike yeah Ike yeah, okay so I all I do is I get I get this email hello I'm a producer for David Ike we'd like to have you on the thing so I go type it in and look and like oh hell no oh he- absolutely not I mean you name all of the sites RT circling it back around RT as in Russian today Russia today as in the Vladimir Putin English language propaganda cable channel. I, I don't know if it's cable, but you know, RT is a, it's a channel. I, I they, still think you should have gone on there and argued for the, uh, for the message of Fatima because it would have benefited Russia so richly. Uh, no, it was Putin. No, no, <laughs> not, not doing it. Not, and again, all you have to do is take a look at this, say, all right, wait, I'm going to do 30 seconds worth of research here. What, what is this? Who owns it? Oh, Putin. Uh, no, sorry. No. Well, well, and that's crazy. Can you imagine? You would have millions and millions of people. There's all these people watching Max and Stacy, and they want you to come on Max and Stacy. And you could, you might even get your own show on RT. Nope. Nope. Not interested. Not interested. How is it that Donald J. Trump is having people like mentally retarded Kanye West, faggot Milo Yiannopoulos, and Nazi Nick Fuentes showing up at his place. He sits, oh, fantastic, that's absolutely, quality, absolutely terrific, fantastic. What, what in the, what, you spent, okay, you're in the White House, you're on Twitter screwing around on the internet all day long, don't tell me you don't know how to use a computer. Don't tell me you don't have the capacity to do a simple vetting of people who are who are trying to trying to be around you and trying to, you know, get publicity off of you. And even if you didn't, even if you didn't, you have staff. Where the he- where the hell is your staff? Why did nobody say, "Look, this is an extraordinarily bad idea." And you give them way too much credit. Uh, <laughs> turnabout's fair play. Turnabout's fair play. I, I evidently, and so if that's the case, if they're that functionally incompetent, how is it that you make the argument that Donald Trump should be the president of the United States if he if he isn't even competent to have people around him who will type into Google the names of people that he is publicly associating himself with? I mean, it's just it's just. It's unbelievable. We are we are ruled by absolute morons. Morons. There's nobody smart in any position of power anywhere. It's and I suppose the people who are smart that are running things are in fact, and we've talked about this, they're smart enough so that nobody knows who they are, nobody knows their names. They could walk down the street in front of my house right now. And nobody would have any idea who they were, and they're probably running the world. There's probably a handful of these people um, still hidden. Hello, Nathan Rothschild. How are you? Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Or, um, you know, um, what's his name? Klaus Schwab. He's kind of he's kind of come out of the closet. But Malachi Martin had him in windswept house. He's one of the guys who drew drew the short straw and had to come out and be a front person, kind of like George Soros. Yes, they're evil, but they're no nowhere near as evil as the people who are in the background saying you have to go out and be the front yep. 
front facing yeah. uh, of this. And think about that when you look at Bill Gates. Who are the people behind the scenes saying, okay, Bill, you drew the short straw. You're only a software guy. You go yep. out there and you be the public face of depopulation. Yep. And what have they got on him? Well, I think we all know what they have on him. But yeah. <laughs> Everything. Everything. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Unbelievable. The only uh, thing I so, had left, oh, I was going to say, the only thing I had left on my notes, if we want to get into it, was, uh, well, you had an item about m- uh, music sampling as an art form. Well, I, w- I will say, this is one thing, and I, I maybe the listenership will be shocked by this, but there is a genre of videos on YouTube. Um, what is it called? Rhythm Roulette. Rhythm Roulette. And these, um, I guess you call them hip-hop producers. I guess producer is the technical term for them. They have to go to a, um, a vinyl record store, and they put a blindfold on, and they have to just go through the store and pick out, at random, three vinyl records. And then they have to take it back to their studio, and they have to create a you know, a a beat, the foundational track for a a song. And presumably what would happen is then that someone would then rap over the top of that. Um, But what they're doing is they're taking clips, little tiny clips of music and, and putting the, and looping them and turning that into a, a, a foundation, a, fa- a foundation of a piece of music. And I have to admit that I find it absolutely fascinating. And I kind of, it, first, I can't play any musical instruments, but it seems to me that that might be something that I would be capable of doing if, and of course you have to have all this equipment to do it because you have to be able to, you have to have a turntable. And so then the, you- No, you just need a MacBook and a, and a, a MIDI controller. Which is, which is like. But you a, need to be able to play the record itself. I mean, you have to have a turntable. Yeah, well, that's all digitized it. at this point. It, it, it's a it's a MacBook, a MIDI controller, and I'm talking about like a box with like 24 keys on it. If you really yeah. want to get mm-hmm. fancy, you can get like a uh, 48 key keyboard and maybe something to do spinners. But these are all MIDI controllers, and you can do this with your with your touchpad basically mm-hmm. to mimic mm-hmm. it all. It's it's absolutely fascinating to watch. Um, now, the problem is, is that what what then happens is that presumably they've got somebody rapping over the top of it. And I think rap is not music and it's not it's not a musical form. And of course, there's just the question of that that is, that goes with the rap itself is that it's usually filthy. But I do I, I will admit that I do have an appreciation for the ability. And some of these records are really old and just wildly obscure. And they just they'll pull out some little tiny piece of it might be strings. It might be horns. It, it can be absolutely it could be a little vocal flourish or something like that. And they can they can make a, a, an instrumental song with this. And yeah, I, I do find it fascinating. I think that there's there's something there. There's a talent there for them to be able to hear that. Um, and then of course they all are by definition percussionists because they're they're laying down both um, digital digital drum beats and most of the time they also are are laying down like a bass line or maybe the bass line is sample is part of the thing that they've sampled. But I, I will admit that I find that. 
I find that fascinating. I, it, it's something that I wish I could try sometime. It would be fun. It would be fun to try and see what I could come up with. So something I want to expand on there is you mentioned it's essentially percussion based or, or beat based. Mm-hmm. And I think about um, wordy rapping hood. I don't know if you know that rap. I'll put it in the link. I'll put it in the show notes because it's actually not dirty. But it definitely is a is a style of rap, and it's it's not dirty. It's just it's a clever combination of words, but it's it's percussion based, and it makes me think of an interview done on NPR. And I'll try to find this in the show notes and put it in. Uh, don't crucify me if I can't find it. But uh, it was with um, oh, crud. How, why am I blanking on the guy's name? He's a world renowned pianist. I don't even, don't even know if he's dead yet. But um, he he was giving an interview with NPR talking about piano and he won the Shostakovich or was the, he won a, a competition in the USSR during the height of the cold war. Van Clyburn. Yes. Him. Yeah. Van yeah. Clyburn. He, he, uh-huh. he, he won this competition and, and he was talking about um, how playing the piano was the lowest of art forms because it's merely percussion. And the yeah. NPR interviewer was so clueless. Was like what? It's so melodic. It's like, no, it's percussion. No, it's a percussion instrument. That's why there's not supposed to be pianos in at mass. No pianos in church. If you go to a Catholic church and there's a piano, that is that is illicit. You yep. can have an organ because an organ is, is a uh, wind instrument that is mimicking the human voice. Pianos are percussion instruments and they are explicitly um, uh, forbidden. In canon law, I can't okay. remember the exact name of the uh, mud proprio that or the bowl that uh, Pius X put out. It's like Trelo, Trele, I don't know. Somebody will, will email me and correct me on this. But the point is that you, yes, like you said, human voice, trumpets or woodwinds, uh, strings, and organ. No percussion. Period. period. Not, I don't know how in the world Mozart got away with that with with his requiem. Uh, uh, because there is percussion in there to emphasize some of the the other instruments, it wasn't the dominant well, thing. I've been, I've been, no, I've been to masses with, um, what is it? It's it's got to be Easter. It's got to be Easter Sunday morning, where there's, um, where there have been timpani and and trumpets. Well, but timpani is is percussion, and yeah, that was forbidden. That that's why uh, Verity's requiem was forbidden to be played at churches, even though it happened because it it's Italy and they were. Yeah. Yeah, Masonic and all the rest. But um but the but the percussion is forbidden in churches because that corresponds to the lower passions. Yeah. The melody was even at a certain point um frowned upon and 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 there was even at one point going to be a, for, a forbidding of of polyphony. But um then Palestrina pointed out by comp- composing and 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 showing that polyphony can actually be to the higher intellect. But in terms oh, yeah. of the order of music, um percussion is the is the lower nature. Mm-hmm. Melody is the middle nature, and pure harmony or pure melody is the upper nature. That's where that's where the you know plain chant, it's just melody. And yeah. that's what makes it so sublime. And Palestrina pointed out that, yes, harmony can be melody. It can reinforce the melody. Mm-hmm. But polyphony can also go down as well. So you got to be careful with that as well. I mean, he pointed out how it can be good, but he didn't, he didn't specifically exclude how it can be bad. Well, Bi- Byzantine chant can be just absolutely heavenly, as I'm sure everyone everyone listening agrees. It's some of the most... 
beautiful music that human beings have ever have ever come up with so some of the most yeah. intoxicating chant i've ever heard is russian orthodox oh absolutely oh absolutely <laughs> yep <laughs> which is is you can it's exactly the same chant that is done at catholic byzantine liturgies there you know there's the ukrainian greek catholic church there's all of these eastern churches have branches of them that are in union with rome and of course they're they're using the same the same byzantine chant it's you can you can see a catholic liturgy that looks almost almost the same as a russian orthodox you know and a lot of people the joke is, is some someone will be and i've 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 done this you're watching some russian orthodox thing and listening to the chant and you know oh i see you're getting your your dose of the kgb because you know the russian orthodox church is the kgb um but it's the liturgy is when when the east comes back in union and it will happen it will happen um yeah that liturgy is going to be is going to sound look and sound largely largely the same in fact i don't know i don't know enough about the byzantine liturgy to say what the differences would be but the issue the issue with the with the byzantine situation is whether or not they're in union with rome but liturgically i think the sensibilities are very very close so i don't know enough about the russian church to know i've i've read brothers karamazov once and I, that's not enough to make me an expert on anything so have you ever been to a byzantine catholic liturgy uh once when i was in florida and i didn't recognize it and i wasn't comfortable with it and i left but it was catholic but you didn't you just didn't know what was going on so i i don't know if it was catholic to be honest i, I think it was because the people who took me it was because there was some reason for some reason the Latin mass wasn't available that weekend they said hey well, there's this uh eastern one we can go to but i walked out because I, I don't recognize it i don't know what it is and i was sufficiently i guess sensitive to the fact that this may not be catholic that um this this isn't what i was i knew as being the catholic mass it's like okay i i'm gonna walk away from this rather than possibly put my soul in danger of 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 accepting something that's a novelty um i was in some senses better than but um I, I i walked out and i just waited for them to be for the, the thing to be over for them to come out and they weren't to, to their credit they weren't judgmental about it they said okay yeah it's not for everybody it's like well yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm a latin right catholic i go to the traditional latin mass if they were trad friends i bet that it was catholic because they wouldn't have gone and they would have known the difference and known the precision but yeah i remember my first i remember my first divine liturgy and it is it's weird because on the surface it seems radically radically different but then once you you know bury your nose in a missile and go through and start comparing and you realize that it's exactly the same structure it's almost exactly the same structure. Oh, this is that, and this is that, and this is that, and this is that. Yeah. I was in the Navy at the time. I was in Florida temporarily because the Navy said that's where you go to do the training you do. And these were not people I'd known for long. And I I didn't know what the heck was going on. 
And the one thing that came to mind was there's a reason why if you're raised in the Latin right, you just don't go to the Eastern right, even if it's Catholic. You're supposed to stay in your own right because yes, you, are, you can yeah. be scandalized <laughs> by legitimately good uh, liturgy in the other right because you just don't know what the heck's going on. Don't have any idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And especially if it's in Church Slavonic. If it's in Church Sl- Slavonic, you can't even begin. You can't pick out. There are no recognizable words except Amin. Amin is the only recognizable word in Church Slavonic. So you're just, you're helpless unless you have a, a mass aid. If it were in English, I suppose it would be a little bit easier, but then ugh, I don't like, I don't like divine liturgy in English. I know that a lot of people, that's, that's what goes on. But if I, if I'm going to go to divine liturgy, I want it to be in church Slavonic. So it's like, if I go to mass, I want it to be in Latin. So <laughs> the only thing I remember sure about that experience was that the planters outside the church were like some white limestone or, or fake marble thing because I walked around them for about 30 minutes waiting for everything to be done. Oh, only 30 minutes. That's the other thing. Divine liturgy is like two and a half hours long. I don't so. remember how long it was. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's such a time warp thing in my mind. Yeah. I don't remember how long it was. And it was one of those things like, look, don't ever take me to this again. If, if there's no, if there's no Latin mass the next weekend, just tell me and I'll make do, I'll say my rosary. I'll read my, my prayers. Um, yeah. you know, if, if there's no mass available, then there's no obligation, but don't take me to that again. Cause I don't know what the heck it is. And honestly, it's a scandal to me. I don't know what your situation with it is. I've never seen this before. Nobody's ever prepared me for it. I don't ever want to do this again. And now in retrospect, I would say, okay, I need to do more research, but I was 19 at the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no preparation for that whatsoever. And we're so old that the internet didn't even exist back then, so you you couldn't even do a wiki search on it. <laughs> You're right. Uh, that would, yeah. yeah, that would have been ninety three. There would have been no te- yep. te- te- technically <laughs> well, technically yep. it existed, but not in the sense that it does now. And that's exactly. a different different topic entirely. The World Wide Indeed. Web sort of started in ninety five, so <laughs> or ninety four, whatever. The point being that the resources we have available now did not exist then. And I certainly was not aware of the web or the internet at that point in time. Wow. Imagine super nerd not even being aware of the internet. It's hard. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. At one point in time before I was deciding or, or trying to create computer languages, I was creating spoken languages because I had studied Latin and some French. And I came up with this whole uh, human spoken language that would be based on Latin sort of, but completely normal so instead of having 150 no, you were ways like a tolkien nerd you were making up your own making up your own languages that's pretty cool no i was normal i'm not a tolkien nerd no the okay. whole idea is you take latin and say instead of saying 150 ways to form a verb there's like eight and it's based on tenses and everything is normal <laughs> as opposed to every other language in the history of humanity that has all kinds of irregular uh, systems and whatnot no yeah. it was it was my idea of, of saying okay i like i like how, how this works in Latin for the most part, except there's all this irregularity. Let's just make this all go away and make it regular. It can be done, right? Yeah, so you were trying talking, to make your own version of Esperanto, basically. <laughs> I, I called it Simplica. It was, it was Latin, oh, so, but Oh, simplified. that's a good name. That's a good name. Hmm. All right, well, dig dig out your Simpli- Simplica notebooks. and, and Oh, those uh, we'll- are long gone. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> that was 30 years ago. I don't have those Indeed. notebooks anymore. 
Well, friend, we are we uh, we might be approaching record long. No, it's only two hours three minutes. Nurse Claire's gonna love it. She uh, she jogs and rows to the podcast, so she likes the long ones. Yeah, we we joke that this is a marathon for her, but no, I think she says it's a half marathon. Whatever, we'll we'll find out. Uh, I'll, I'll call it fourteen and a half miles. Okay, fourteen and a half miles. All right, I think we should wrap it up, bud. Yeah, I never even got to the whole power grid thing. We'll, we can talk about that another time. Yeah. So the email episode. address, uh, if the email address of the podcast, where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or what your experience is with other liturgies that aren't uh, Roman and whether or not they're correct, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. The email, or Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors, and there's at least one mass said every single day. That's traditional mm-hmm. Latin mass said every single mm-hmm. day for all of all of her benefactors, and for everybody who died the previous week, whether they died suddenly or died from natural causes. Uh, there is a traditional Latin requiem mass said for them as well. Please pray for the priests who offer these masses. They're 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 hunted. By, mm-hmm. by preternatural forces. There's no other way I can say it than that. And seminarians. Also pray for seminarians right now. It's got to be absolutely brutal being a seminarian right now and looking at the situation and saying, and being tempted to think that you shouldn't dedicate your life to this. Now, some of them are saying, ha-ha, they're rubbing their hands together and saying, bring it. But some of them are, are being tempted to think that... Um, a priestly vocation is not in the cards for them right now. So, and if it, if it isn't, it isn't, you know, you know, for some of them it isn't, but for the ones who, for whom it is, and they're kind of being, being deceived by current events into thinking that maybe they shouldn't be priests, pray for them too, while you're praying for our ordained priests. That's a good point. Pray for seminarians because the, the layers of doubt upon layers of doubt that are mm-hmm. introduced, whether it's just from just from the studies going on, whether it's the self-reflection of am I worthy for this this path of life mm-hmm. or whether it's from Satan himself saying, no, you can't do it. Don't do it. Um, it, it makes me think about the there, there was a, a, a period of years after I got out of the Navy and went to college and got into my professional career. I still had no idea what my my path in life was going to be. I hadn't met Supermom yet. And I honestly was questioning whether or not I should become a priest. And I went on on an Ignatian retreat and was talking to a priest about this and, and, and mentioning, it's like, okay, I I really don't know which path I'm drawn to. And he made a comment that it's like, well, yeah, I can see where you're tempted possibly to to the married life because it's so much easier. And I said, father, that's the harder path to go. I mean, as a priest, you, when it's five o'clock, you can just close the door and you can go pray in quiet and nobody's bothering you. And just the, the look of laughter on his face and, and realized that I was making the argument for marriage being the more arduous path. And yet that's the one I was drawn to. And it's like, okay, that was, that was the point that it made it clear in my, in my mind, that was my path in life. That that's, that was my vocation was. And, but at the same time, had it gone the other way, I can see that there could have been so many more questions like, was this the right choice? Are you sure you made the right choice? You probably screwed this up. You probably really screwed this up. You should have been out there in the world and doing something else you were good at. You, you know, you're pretty good at as a program. You should have left this and all the rest. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine all the questions that get come into the minds of seminarians. And yeah, pray for them. Because yeah. without seminarians, you don't get priests. You don't get priests. Yep. So pray for, pray for priests, pray for seminarians. 
And that was a really long way of saying that part of the podcast, but it, you know, it, it's, it's probably important to mention because I don't think we've mentioned that before. Yeah. We always say pray for priests, but I don't think, I don't think either of us has said pray for seminarians while you're at it. 184.8 podcasts in, and, and I don't think we've mentioned praying for seminarians before. So I think I need to- Sorry, edit, seminarians. <laughs> I, I need to edit my notes to pray for you guys because yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, if you don't, if you don't pray for young single people, you don't get, um, you don't get uh, virtuous married couples, but if you don't pray for seminarians, you don't get priests. So if you don't pray for young single people, you also don't get seminarians. So Pray for everybody. And pray for pray for to. holy vocations. Oh my goodness, <laughs> holy vocations with seminaries for them to go to, um, and also talking about reminding people of things. Don't forget our patron saint who just had her fourth anniversary. Is that correct? Yes, uh, Saint Tiny Princess, my daughter, um, four years ago, within the last week or so, entered into the beatific vision. And uh, we visited her her gravesite on on uh, her anniversary, and um, prayed to her. And and yes, she is. There there have been many emails I've gotten throughout the the last four years of people saying that uh, we prayed to Saint Tiny Princess, and 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 we got an answer to our prayers. And I'm sure you've gotten the emails as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a lot of work, yes, but she was also a tremendous blessing. And everyone who helped out with us uh, to to help out with her, I should say helped us to help with her. Uh, the, uh, almost everybody said exactly the same thing. It's like, yeah, I knew I was going to be taking on a certain amount of work to help you guys out, but the, just the feeling of peace and joy and radiance that came off of her. And, you know, she's a tiny baby with a massive genetic condition that, you know, she shouldn't mm-hmm. live more than four or five days and lived almost a year. Um, but there was something just exuding grace off of her. And, and yes, it was a, a privilege that I can't quantify that I get to be the daddy of a saint. Um, and, and I made the joke at the time on the podcast, like what in the world is coming up in the future that I need a saint in heaven as my daughter to be preparing me. It's like, Oh, you know, maybe it could be coronavirus, maybe it could be something else coming else. I don't know. But yes, the, the, the point that Anne mentioned, um, we've talked about tiny princess many, many times on the podcast. She's been, if you've listened to us for a long time, you, you've heard of her, don't neglect to uh, invoke her in prayer. God knows who St. Tiny Princess is. You don't need mm-hmm. to know her name. God knows how to route this. And she's more than happy to to help everybody. I mean, her, her I, I don't have to be a theologian to know that she wants you to be further up in heaven than she is. Yes. Yeah, she, you know, it, it, I, I made the comment uh, before, or maybe I, I wrote this on something I sent to you, that, I, I can imagine that her fervent prayer is that her siblings and her parents are so far up ahead of her in heaven that she can talk to the other innocents around her and say, see those bright souls way up there. That's my family. That's my family. Yeah. that, yep. and, and that's, I hope I get to live up to that. I mean. And in honor of her fourth anniversary, I think that you should definitely put a link to the sister adores in the show notes again. Absolutely. Because they were, they were so amazing and you got hooked up through a listener reader with the Sister Adores after, interestingly, um, a novena to St. Anne was said. And the St. Anne novena is, if, if I remember the events correctly, the St. Anne novena. And it wasn't, I, th- I think we didn't even get to the end of the, the, the novena. 
and the sister adores were, or what are they called? The sister servants of Mary, sister servants of Mary. That, and that's yeah. not even their full title, to be honest, look in the show notes for the full title. I will get it correct in there. But yeah, it, they, their whole point is that they help people who are in a terminal situation. Typically it's older people. Mm-hmm. So, it, so them helping out with uh, tiny princess was definitely the exception. But uh, yeah, they, that's their, it's a corporal work of mercy back, Back in Catholic times, that's what religious orders did. They devoted themselves to spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And this being, you know, taking care of the sick was one of them. I mean, Supermom and me were at the point where we literally were getting single digit, well, no, less than that, four hours of sleep or less per night. Yeah. Um, yeah. I honestly don't remember July of 2018. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I vaguely remember it, but... I know I worked during that time and I remember doing stuff, but I don't really remember it because I was so slap happy, sleep deprived that I think I aged four years just that month Yeah, <laughs> because I, you know, it, it, it was so hard. And, and, and that was one of the things too, that, you know, God never gives you a challenge that you can't handle. Right. You may, it may take some, may take some time to figure out what was the thing you're supposed to learn from it. And that was the thing my wife and I, came to the conclusion of with St. Tiny Princess is that what we needed to learn is that we can't rely just on ourselves. We have to ask for help. And yeah. that was hard. It, yeah. It's really hard for people who are, you know, intelligent, strong, self-determined people to ask for help and say, I can't do this. I need help. And many, 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 many graces came from that. Many graces yep. came from that. And it's like, you know, yeah, you might be, all that and a stud and a bag of chips and all the rest. But <laughs> still there, there's, there's so many, so many graces that come from not being proud and asking for help when you need it. Yep. Amen. Amen. So St. Tiny Princess, pray for us. Pray for us. Absolutely. And what else? Oh, your donor, your donors, your donor list. I almost don't want to do this because it sounds like so cheap now. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some value from this podcast, no matter how you define value, I humbly request that you visit supernerdmedia.com and consider returning some value. And that's what some folks did since the last podcast via the mailbox, Richard. And actually, this is a make good because I don't remember which podcast it was that Richard sent something. I just know that when I went back through the notes, I should have mentioned him sooner, and um, I didn't. So I'm sorry, Richard, but I'm mentioning you now. Uh, Ronald, who sent a donation in memory of Lois, uh, I know what that is, and you'd have to go back about a year and a half, I think, to find out a previous reference to that as well. Pamela, who says, many thanks to Anne and Supernerd. Keep up the good work. Love seeing Dr. Matza on the Rumble channel. Advent blessings to you both. And yes, Dr. Matza had a, a video interview that he did, and uh, I forget the exact subject material, but I think we decided that this is something that could not go on YouTube, and I decided to go ahead and spin up a, a Rumble channel and posted that and integrate it into your blog, and hey, Pamela likes it, so uh, you should too. Yay, yay, Dr. Matza. And uh, Matt, who sent in a donation and said, you misspelled alternative on your website. Merry Christmas. And and yes, this I... I on superdirtmedia.com, I had to go look it up. And yes, I said, I, I mentioned the different ways that you can make a donation. 
and apparently I misspelled alternative. I will correct that, Matt, and I will also encourage anybody else who has a correction they want to send me, go ahead and send a donation with a note. Oh, typo corrections are always appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And via Amazon, Catherine said, uh, sent a note or sent a donation and said, thank you for all you do. And the other one, I don't really mention it that much, but uh, uh, this this podcast is, if you use a, a podcast uh, app like uh, Fountain or Podverse, you can send uh, Boostergrams or streaming payments through uh, Bitcoin, Satoshis and whatnot. Somebody sent a Boostergram on episode 183 with the word truth with an exclamation point. So I guess they liked okay. it. Okay. <laughs> It's, it's, cool. it's user 5409. I have no idea who that is. It's, it's, I, I love the cryptic nature of that, but awesome. So yeah, you can actually send messages that way. And if you really want to know how to do that, go ahead and send an email to um, obscurestuff at supernermedia.com and I'll tell you how, what that's all about. <laughs> Obscure stuff at supernermedia. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Anything left the at sign uh, at supernermedia.com will work. As long as it passes as a valid email address, there are some rules there, RFC 1813 or something like that. You have to follow that. But beyond that, it'll get to me, which brings me to Matthew 1720 because I've rambled long enough. Our fourfold intention, which continues um, without ceasing. In fact, it's getting more and more urgent with each passing day, isn't it? Um, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of whatever he needs to repent of, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Pachamama demon, pray for us. And... That's so fitting on this feast of Our Lady Guadalupe, who also stood on the head of the of the serpent. Yep. Um, what was the serpent in Mexico? I don't know because I'm not Mexican. I'm not in demonology, but um, there there is a specific a specific name to the, to the serpent demon in Mexico, and ah, that was that okay. was part of the that was part of the symbology that converted so many of the natives was the the woman clothed clothed with the sun mm -hmm. who was wearing the costume of somebody who was expecting. Yes. So mm -hmm. she was expecting the incarnate word. And there was something else about the divine. I don't remember the, the exact details on that. But also she was eclipsing the moon, which was an, yes. an important deity to the Mexican, uh, to the Aztecs. Mm -hmm. And then standing on the head of a serpent. Uh, was it Quetzalcoatl, perhaps? That Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think you're right. So yeah. she crushed the head of the serpent. And, and yep. it, was, it was because of the imagery of Our Lady Guadalupe that so many of, of the... Aztecs, the, the indigenous of Mexico, converted. It offset what was lost to the yep. to the Protestant Reformation in Luth Europe. Luther took five million, and Our Lady then did, got nine million right away in in the Americas. Yep, and yep. an entire new race came into being. Yep, amazing. Guadalupe is fascinating. Fascinating. Absolutely. Any of those any of those um, videos you can watch about the image and the stuff that they just keep finding. The stars are literally reflect what the positions of the stars in the sky were at exactly that day. Um, the, the reflection in her eyeball of the people who were in the room. And it's that was just, that was 80s technology. NASA was doing um, spectral scans of, of, of the Tilma, which mm -hmm. by the way, 
the Tilma from, from the 1500s being scanned and still being intact in the 1980s, that's a miracle by itself. Oh, yeah, that it should have been dust centuries yeah. ago. And, yeah. and, and being able to see reflections, photographic reflections in the pupils of Our Lady. Yep. Seeing Juan Diego with the Tilma full of roses at that point and the bishop also. Yeah. Um, that is just miracle upon miracle. If you don't get it, you don't get it. And that, that gets back to the saying that, you know, that the whole gift of supernatural faith, it gives you the ability to believe things that you can't believe otherwise. And you can't. And exp- isn't it interesting that here we are in these days and my goodness, what a coincidence that the technology has advanced to the point that the faith that those people had is now confirmed with physical technological observation and here we are when everybody in the world has lost faith and we're probably sprinting towards the apocalypse and i i'll say it again and again i think that the reason that there has been this technological advance over the last century that is just so absolutely wild in its speed is precisely so that we could we could have our faith bolstered because we're so lacking in faith relative relative to previous generations. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they will see and hear. Yep. Indeed. Which reminds me, we should probably do a, um, a topic at some point on Eucharistic miracles. Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, fascinating, fascinating. Until then, I'm a super nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. it's gone.